Good morning, friends. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, here in a few moments, we're going to dive into that text. And this morning is unique uh, in the sense that we are going to be spending our time together just around communion and the Lord's Supper. And we're going to reflect on uh, that this morning and the implication of that for our lives. Uh, what's incredible is, is we have a unique opportunity next weekend to also celebrate an ordinance. Since this week, we're celebrating the, the death of Christ, his, his body and his blood. Next week, we're going to celebrate uh, the resurrection. And the reason we do that and the way we do that is through baptism. And so I encourage you uh, to, to join us next weekend as we celebrate people who are, are walking in a new life with Christ and they're going public with their faith in baptism. And so it's kind of unique to have two weekends a row, in a row that we get to celebrate all of that and just pray that you would make it a priority to join us on our Edgewood campus next week uh, at 10 a.m. It's going to be a special time. Uh, it's celebratory, whereas the tone of today um, definitely is a little heavier on our hearts. Uh, if you have your Bibles uh, and you're with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this morning I want to show you five things that all of us should consider uh, before we observe communion or what's oftentimes commonly expressed as the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and the Corinthian church has many challenges. And when I say many challenges, uh, it, it means that they are one live, living and really epicenter of pagan worship. And they, uh, they are have grown up in that culture and certainly are very aware um, that there are temples nearby that would express worship to those that are other than Christ Jesus and the God that we know of the Bible. And so there is obviously a, a cultural challenge there. They also have, in some ways, kind of reverted back to some of those pagan practices that they may have experienced themselves or certainly have been commonly expressed within the culture. And the way that that's happening is the way that they gather even for food and meals, etc., and so if you just realize that oftentimes when believers gathered, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it, was, you know, it wasn't just necessarily that one person hosted, but they would all kind of bring food together. And then they would take part in celebrating the Lord's Supper over bread and over wine. And so today, as we read through this text, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And he is trying to reason with them on some of the things he's observed and some of the things he's heard that have become a challenge for the Corinthian church. And he basically just says, hey, here's some things that you need to consider. And here's some things that you need to potentially correct before you observe the Lord's Supper. And so today, I think we can learn from those things. Out of the five things I mentioned, I think four of them the Lord wants me to really work on and consider. And so today, I think that if I need to consider four out of the five things, maybe you should consider one of them. Um, and so that's my heart and prayer today as we consider um, these things before we observe the Lord's Supper today. Uh, I'm not going to put the text for you up on the screen. And so I just encourage you to, to kind of, uh, one, uh, look at your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, then hey, scoot next to somebody. Um, if, they're, if you're new here and you don't know that person, just introduce yourself first. And that's okay. We'll, we make way and provision for you. But gather up next to someone. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you with one. And if you just didn't have it today, then just listen as carefully as you can um, and so that you hopefully can take away a handful of these things. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's interesting, it's the, the same chapter where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then he gives 
uh, a handful of things to imitate. But then you get to verse 17, and he changes course and talks about the Lord's Supper. He says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. And when he says come together, what he's meaning is, as you get together as the body, as you get together as the local church, the expression of faith in Christ Jesus, he goes, it's not been beneficial, but it's actually become a detriment. It's been not for the better, but it's become for the worse. And he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And the very first thing I would just say to you that I think what Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth to do is to live at peace with your brothers and sisters. And so there's five P's today that I'm going to show you. The first one is peace. That you and I would seek peace and we would pursue it with all that we have. Now, what's interesting is Paul says, when you guys are coming together, as he's speaking to the Corinthian church, he goes, there are dissensions. There's factions. There's quarrels. There's gossip. There's slander. There are things that are not honoring Christ. And he goes, and you ought to pay careful attention to those. At the same time, I think that those that are enduring such hardships, there's also good news for. Matter of fact, in verse 19, he says, I believe in part, at the end of verse 18, that these factions among you are for a purpose. So he goes, when there is dissension, when there is quarreling, when there is gossip, he goes, you could lose heart. Or he goes, you could remain steadfast. He goes, because when you have these things, he goes, it's a genuine test among you that those who are solid would be recognized. He goes, at the end of the day, when there is sin, that could easily come to the forefront. And he goes, and it could cause and breed quarrels and dissensions and factions. And he goes, and you could run and you could hide. Or he goes, potentially it could show those who have godly character. And what I would just tell you is this. I don't think there's anybody in this room who says, you know what? I got up today and I want to make war with my neighbor. But I would say there's probably the equal number of us that we didn't get up this morning and say, I'm going to do everything in my power to pursue peace. And I think that's really the goal. Paul is saying, look, there are divisions. Divisions aren't useless. They are actually there for a reason. The reason why is because they actually bring in part those who are genuine among you. Like they show who's genuine in the faith. And so when you have these things, he goes, you can look at it two ways. You can run and hide and say, I don't want any part of that place. Or the second thing is you could stand in the gap and you could say, God is using these things to bring good in my life and glory to God. Now look, there's a lot of people in here that you like the NFL or college football or whatever. You've, heard, you've commonly heard me use this expression, but I want to use it to you again. Today, you're going to see some quarterbacks that stand in the gap and take the hit, and they're the best ones in the league. They're the ones who they stand in and they complete passes, but they get hit right under the chin, and they don't even see the completed pass because they're down on the ground. The worst quarterbacks in the NFL, they bolt, and they take off running, and then they throw the ball out of bounds. What I want you to understand is Paul is saying, he goes, listen, those that are strong among you, he says, even though there are divisions and quarrels and dissensions, he goes, they seek peace and they pursue it. They stand in the gap. They don't run, they don't hide, they don't flee. Matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does he say? He goes, 
Those who seek peace and pursue it, they're the ones that are called the sons of God. Why is that? Because they've stood through the test. They're the ones who endured genuinely. Yeah, they were put through the fire, but through the dissensions, through the quarrels, God received glory and they had a tremendous growth for their own good. What is interesting is I think Jesus could have used several words there, but one of the words that Jesus could have said is, blessed are the peace fakers. But he didn't use that word, did he? What's a peace faker? A peace faker is who someone will tell you something to your face and do something different behind your back. A peace faker is one who will run and hide and they'll flee. They won't stand in the pocket. They won't take the hit. And there's a lot of us that we are programmed to be peace fakers. Instead of seeking understanding, instead of believing the best about someone, instead of genuinely trying to honor the Lord in our lives, knowing that we live among, in our church, flawless brothers and sisters. Did y'all know that? Did y'all realize, like, like there are no, there's no perfect people here? Like, we wear t-shirts that say, no perfect people allowed. You know, here's what I want you to understand. That t-shirt is not giving you a license to say, you know what, I'll never grow. It's also not inviting you to come and saying, hey, it's okay to never be perfect because that's all that God desires from you. No, it means that, hey, you are in good company. Sinners that are blessed to become known as sons and daughters of God. Why? Because they are peacemakers. They genuinely stand in the gap for people. They're commonly expressing the reconciliation and the forgiveness of God. They're commonly identifying themselves as people who are willing to take the hit. Isn't that interesting? In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul just says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. So far as it depends on who? You. You can't control what other people do or don't do. What you can control is what you do, the way you respond. And I would just encourage you, Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, hey, you guys are a mess. He goes, there's factions, there's quarrels, you, you aren't treating one another uh, in, in ways that are respectful. It's not honoring to God. Yes, it is bringing about those who are genuine in the faith, but I think his encouragement to them is, hey, you should seek peace and pursue it with everything you have. Paul then continues on in this letter, and he says this in verse 20. He goes, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, here's what he's saying. He goes, you're getting together for the Lord's Supper. And when you're getting together for the Lord's Supper, he goes, not only are you having quarrels and factions, but he goes, you're gathering with the Lord's Supper. And he goes, but the problem is in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? He goes, do you not have houses to eat in or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What Paul is saying is, you guys are gathering for the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is, is really two elements. It's the, the, the bread, which reminds us of the broken body of, of Christ. And it's the, the wine or the juice that would remind you, the cup that reminds you of the blood of Christ. He goes, when you guys are coming together, he goes, you are commonly expressing something that is not the heart of Christ. He goes, you are gorging upon your own food. You're not looking or caring for the needs of others. And he goes, and some of you, you're even getting drunk. Now, the point of it was that they would gather together and they would bring their own food. And before people were there, many of them are already partaking and eating it. And so depending on what you have or don't have depends on how much you have brought to the table for this Lord's Supper. 
And so if you could imagine there are some people that they're coming and they've got plenty of choice drink and they're not sharing it among their brothers because they're using it to get drunk. Now the likelihood of us getting drunk today or anywhere in America for that matter as you commune together with the Lord's Supper is not likely, right? You and I are not going to walk away today and feel like, well, we just didn't have plenty. But that was what was happening in the Corinthian church. There were those who were poor and destitute, and they likely had nothing to observe the Lord's Supper with. Then you had other people who they were gorging on what they brought as opposed to looking to the needs of others. And so in one hand, he goes, I want you to live at peace with others. And the second hand, he says, I want you to show preference to others. So he goes, I want you to live at peace, but I want you to show preference. Now, what is preference? Preference is what Paul writes to the church of Philippi in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5. He goes, hey, you do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, you count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He goes, if you are a Christ follower, not only do you handle divisions and quarrels and factions well, you seek to pursue peace, but he goes, you also are commonly expressing preference for others. You're continually looking for ways to put others' needs ahead of your own. And he goes, and that is observed even in the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church. Yes, you bring food to the table, you share it with your friends. Yes, when you do something, you are always having this mind of Christ among yourselves. For instance, let me share a common way that you can show preference. I had somebody this morning and basically was like, yeah, I'm in a text group and they just, it's, it, you know, it blows up my text all the time. And, and there's a, some of us in this room, and maybe you would identify that you go, that kind of is annoying, a text group that goes throughout the day. Okay? There's, now, if you would like to self-identify, you, you can go ahead and join me. Okay? That's me. Okay? And there's a way that for us we could go, golly, that's so annoying. Like, I mean, I've, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. But can I just share real quickly the attitude of Christ says, that's not my preference. It's not the way I would desire to communicate all day. But it's a simple way where I can show the attitude of Christ and serve others. It's crazy because there's so many things in life that annoy us that I'm convinced that Christ could help us see through a different lens on, and it wouldn't be as big of a deal. The, the, the end of the day is, is when we come together as a church, when we take part in communion, it is foolish for us to presume that we should take and consume something in the name of our Lord when our hearts are not postured in a way before him that we would even be a representation of his preference to others. Does that make sense? So my question is, are you living at peace? Are you a peacemaker or a peace faker? Are there things you need to deal with? If so, go show preference to somebody. Or maybe there's other ways. Why? Because Paul says the reason you and I are gathering together and the way he expressed this to the Corinthian church was important. Matter of fact, he continues on. He says this in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So why do we live at peace? Why do we show preference? 
Because as long as we are here on earth, we are continually reflecting on the provision and the promises of God. So we show peace because of God's provision and his promise. We show preference because we are proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes. Now, are we merely proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes when we gather on a Sunday morning? Oh, church, I hope not. Like if that's all we're offering is ourselves to the Lord one day a week for a measly hour, and even as we drink a cup and we eat some bread, we go, Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for me, but we are not praising him throughout the week and we're not reflecting his character throughout the week, then we are making a mockery of what Paul says, proclaim the Lord's death until you come. What does that mean? It means every time we gather with other believers, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It means that when we reflect on our meals, whether it's over a communion cup and some bread or over a fajita and some beef, if you're about to put a tortilla in your meal, you can remind yourself of the broken body of Christ. For the times that you partake of a glass of wine at night, you can remind yourself of the provision of, of Jesus, provided that you're not doing it in ways that aren't holy. See, the, the reminder is that you're proclaiming the Lord's death until you come in all ways throughout your life. Like in every season, in every thing we do, we reflect on his provision. What was his provision? It's the same provision he made for the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt through the Exodus. Remember what he said? Take a lamb, male, spotless and pure. I want you to, you, I want you to take his life. I want you to enjoy that meal together as a family. By the way, enjoy some bread, but leave out the leaven. Because it's, gonna, it's not going to have time to rise. You're going to have to go quickly. And so unleavened bread, clear your homes, have a meal. Now take the lamb's blood and place it over the doorframe of your house so the angel of death sweeps through the land. You will be spared. Friends, as we partake of the Lord's cup, we reflect on his promises and his provision because the blood of Christ is applied to those of our lives who have sought forgiveness through the remission of sin through bloodshed. And that changes who we are. And every time that we eat of it, we remind ourselves of the word of Jesus in Luke 22 or in Matthew chapter 26, where he says, hey, friends, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. So what we can have in our imagery is Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he has not enjoyed bread or a glass of, of the cup. Until when? Until you and I are gathered with him again. And so right now, there is a season of waiting for us to arrive as the bridegroom with, or with our bridegroom as the bride of Christ. And until then, we, what? Make much of his kingdom. Paul then goes on, he goes, and whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So he goes, if you have the Lord's cup, he goes, the way you deal with it is either good or it's challenging. He goes, you're either drinking in a manner that's worthy or a manner that's unworthy. For the Corinthian church, he says, you are doing this in an unworthy manner. You're not in peace with one another. You're not showing preference to one another. You are making a mockery of the provision, the promises of God. And to qu quite frank, he goes, it's, it's, a, it's a manner that's unworthy of the gospel. It just doesn't line up. So he says, verse 28, let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, most of us in this room don't have a theology that has room for a God of justice in such a way that we drink of the cup in an unworthy manner, it could cost us our life. That's not the theology you have. The theology you have is God is all merciful, all loving, all, all kind, so, so gracious that there's very little room for his wrath. And Paul makes it very, very clear to the Corinthian church. He goes, there are many of you that are weak and ill, and some of you have died because of the expression of the Lord's Supper in the church. I don't know about that. It, like, it changes things, right? Like, oh, I may not take the Lord's Supper today. But the point was, as Paul says, look, before you ever take the Lord's Supper, he goes, you need to prepare your heart. You need to prepare your heart. And friends, my question would be this. Are you preparing your heart? Earlier in this letter, just about a chapter earlier, Paul says these words. He goes, you can't drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What he means is he goes, you can't be double-minded. You don't come in and take the Lord's Supper and go, isn't it great that Jesus died for us and then continue to breed quarrels and divisions among people? He goes, you don't walk out and continue to slander and gossip and say, oh, aren't I, aren't I forgiven and isn't it wonderful? You don't continue to maliciously tear down the bride of Christ. You don't continue to hoard all the things of of God's gracious gifts to you for yourself. Like you don't live with closed fists if you are a part of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he goes to the Corinthian church. It's, it's a mockery if you are saying that you are benefiting from the favor and the generosity of God and you are never generous. And there's many of us that the, the biggest fault we have in this morning is we're not generous. You, you're, you're not generous. You're cheating the Lord. And we are so accustomed to just taking the Lord's Supper that we're okay with that. It's hidden. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows what I give. I don't, friends, I don't, I don't have a clue what you give. Like, I didn't even say that in the first service. That's for somebody here. It is a mockery if you and I would believe that we can take the Lord's cup and express things that are not of the Lord. That's the point. Make sense? And you go, well, I'm not cheating God. I'm not cheating him, and I'm not cheating others. Well, that's why many of them were, were dying. And he goes, if you would judge yourselves, you wouldn't even be judged. What does he mean? He goes, if you just took a few moments and you were silent and still and you asked the Lord to reveal things that you can't see, he goes, you wouldn't have to stand in the judgment that these Corinthians stood in. What does it mean? He goes, it's an incredible thing, isn't it, that we could come before God and say, Lord, if there be any grievous way in me, would you remove that? Isn't it awesome that God allows us to come to him in prayer and that we could actually in prayer, say, Lord, if there's an area that I am not living according to your word, whether it be not showing preference or maybe it's not, not understanding the promise, the provision of God, maybe it's any of these areas, maybe it's just my heart's not, then he goes, get that in check. Now, look, maybe you would say, well, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. Well, here's what Psalm 1611 says. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, hold on. What is that? You make path of life. So as I navigate all these challenges, you make known to me the path of life. You're the one who gives me answers. And yes, and in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And if there is fullness of joy in God's presence, my question would be, is there fullness of joy in your life? You know, maybe perhaps the area that we should confess most to one another is that right now our hearts are not full of joy. And perhaps maybe the reason that our hearts are not full of joy is because we haven't been at the right hand of God where the pleasures exist forevermore. Don't get me wrong, I think there's a lot of us in here that we've conditioned ourselves. Yeah, we read God's word every now and then. But my question is, is this, are you glancing at God or are you gazing upon him? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're in God's word occasionally and you're doing it because it's a routine, but it's not refreshing. Like it's been a long time since you've been on your knees and the Lord's brought you just to tears over the condition of things in your life. It's been a long time since you've just really poured yourself out in prayer for someone. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like you've got a routine and, and on the outside, it looks like you got it together, but you know in your heart that you're far from God close in a lot of ways. On paper, it looks good. Paul says, hey, judge yourself so you don't endure the judgment and the condemnation of God. Friends, that's what the Lord's Supper is about, an opportunity to come before and prepare your heart before him. That you would treat this with reverence and that you would be honest with yourself about where you are even in your walk with the Lord. What a joy to be able to do that. Paul then concludes this portion of his letter and this thought in verses 33 and 34. He says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it not be for judgment. And about the other things, I'll give you directions when I come. I laugh at that line. About all everything else, I'll tell you about it when I get there. <laughs> Which just means that there's challenges in the local church. And friends, we would... We would be in complete denial if we said that there weren't challenges in the local church here. There's challenges in the local church. There are divisions, there are factions, there is sin, there are lies, there is gossip, there is slander, there is perversion, there are things being kept in the dark and not in the light. There, is, there are people here with, that lack prepared hearts, and it's just true. There's many of us in this room that we don't practice generosity. There's a variety of challenges that Paul says, hey, I'll, I'll address that later. His point is, is that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, he goes, you ought to be peacemakers. Hey, you, you ought to do everything you can to remind yourself of the precious promises of God. And those promises ought to lead you to show preference to others. You ought, to re, you ought to reflect prepared hearts. And he goes, and when it comes to the Lord's Supper, he goes, you ought to be patient. Patient. He goes, wait. Wait for others. Now, there's a lot of us in here that we struggle with that. Like, I cook a hot steak. I want to eat as soon as it comes off the grill. Like, that's just the way I'm wired. Anybody in here, like, you, like I can I get an amen. Like, it's incredibly frustrating to cook a steak and have it perfectly timed. And to know that before this steak gets on, I've got to heat the grill for a certain number of minutes. And then the way I cook a steak is typically seven minutes on each side. Seven plus seven is what? 
we got 14 minutes, baby, to get the kids' hands washed, to get the plates repaired, to get the napkins set. You got 14 minutes. Y'all got that? Now, look, I'm not even throwing the stakes on until you say, hey, we're close. So you say the word go, but when we say go, we got 14 minutes. Got it? So after 14 minutes, you bring steak in the house, and it's just savory. You smell it. You've already had a slight taste. And you're like, this is going to be good. And then you look out, and one of your kids is in the backyard. Another one can't be found. <laughs> the timer of the oven suggests that we're still another 10 minutes away. And here's the deal. In my flesh, I want to lose my ever-loving mind. So I'm like, hey, this is not that hard. Is this hard? Right? Now, some of you are like, this, this, you're making a big deal. Okay, l- let me give you a scenario where you can understand. It's Thanksgiving. You're set to start at 1 o'clock. Cousin Eddie hasn't arrived. You're agitated. Everybody can see it on your face that you won't say it. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. They weren't waiting for anyone. They were gorging on their own appetites. And while you're not likely to see it expressed in our time together, the position of their hearts was wrong. And a lot of our problem in here is we're not waiting on the Lord, not waiting on Him in the midst of our circumstances. We want to take matters in our own hands. We're selfish. There's five things, five things that you and I could, could, could consider, right? And as you think about those things, the question is, is which one do you need to confess to God? And, and here's the deal. What I'm going to ask you to do next might be a challenge for you. Um, I'm going to ask you here in just a second to do something that we don't often do and probably don't do enough. But what I would like you to do is just join me in prayer. And we're just going to pray for a couple of minutes. I'm going to lead us. But as we, as we lead one another in prayer, I want you to ask yourself the question, like, Lord, am I at peace with someone? Or do I need to go someone right now? Do I need to go seek forgiveness? Or do I need to step out and make a phone call? Don't be a peace faker. Friends, be a peacemaker. Maybe there's some of you in here that you go, you know what? My heart is far from the Lord. I, like I'm not, my heart's not prepared. I, I haven't been awesome myself, and you just need to confess that. There's ways that you haven't shown preference to others. You know that there was a need to be met, and you said you would do it, but you never showed up. Seek, seek the Lord on that. Be honest. Maybe some of you aren't very patient with the Lord right now, and so it's created distance. Well, here's the invitation. Some of you in this room are not physically able to do this, and that's okay. You can posture your hearts, and you can posture your head before the Lord. But there's many of us in the room that we could join in kneeling before God. And here's the deal. When I kneel before God, here's what I want you to understand. I can look at this in a couple of different ways. I could say, you know what? Like, why would I kneel? Like, that seems so, like, demoralizing. And here's the deal, if, if you have the wrong mindset or maybe the wrong place in the kingdom, it does. But here's what I want you to realize. Jesus came to seek 
and to save that which was lost. And he, he demonstrated that through serving. Jesus, the greatest servant of all time, said, I did not come to be served, but I came to be a servant and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, here's the deal. Being a servant oftentimes sounds fun until you're treated like one. Like when, when you're scrubbing toilets and back behind them, And nobody ever says thank you. It's easy to build resentment, isn't it? When you show up to work every day and you mop floors. And they say you missed a spot. Man, that's painful. When you show up and you're the first one there and likely oftentimes the last one to leave. And people question your integrity. Say hurtful things about you to co-workers. And you hear it. But they'll never tell you to your face. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? See, I think about Cinderella, and I think about the way she served and how she was mistreated. And I think about how inspiring that is in the movies. And friends, it is inspiring until you are Cinderella. And then the inspiration quickly leaves the room. And you're left, oftentimes, in a place where you say, I feel like a servant but I'm growing weary of doing good. I mean, how many servants in our airports right now are picking up trash and you never see them? And if they stopped, you wouldn't even be able to get to your terminal. And you never thank, you never thank them. All you do is you see the tables and you walk into a restaurant today and you even say, man, this place is dirty. Why didn't they clean these tables? You know Why? Because there's somebody who grew weary of doing good. And you know what the church is to do in that matter? You are to say, hey, do you mind if I just get a towel? I would love to help you. I'm sure. I'm sure that in this season that it's been tough. I'm sure in this season that you've endured some challenges. And, and when, instead of demanding something, you go, hey, give me a towel. I would delight to help you in cleaning a table. Do you know why we bow our knees? It's just to remind ourselves of our position in the kingdom. God, I'm your servant. And though I grow weary of doing good, I know that there are promises that will be fulfilled one day. And until then, God, would you sustain me? God, would you hold me? In the midst of trying to lead my family, in the midst of trying to lead my kids, in the midst of trying to work through circumstances and death and hardship, God, would you hold me, sustain me, remind me that the kingdom of God is eternal. And so as we bend our knees, for those who are physically able, we are just asking God to help us live at peace, show preference, reflect on the promises of God, be patient in our waiting and live with prepared hearts. I don't know what it is that you have to confess to the Lord, but I would invite you this time to join me on bended knee, physically able, 
It's going to be uncomfortable. You might think it's a little bit demeaning, but in proper perspective, it's incredibly healthy for our hearts. And so, friends, you may join me as we pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we, we thank you for your son. Father, we thank you that he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And he was a lamb led to the slaughter on our behalf. Lord, in Isaiah 53, you remind us that it pleased you to punish your son on our behalf. He was innocent and he was silent before his shears. He never spoke and he was charged as guilty. As the ultimate servant, he endured hardship. He was beaten. He was laid bare, naked before his accusers. He was mocked. He was hit. He was spit upon. He was cursed. His, his beard was plucked. And he endured such humility. Not just humility, humiliation. Laughed. Spoken maliciously of. He was the joke for everyone. Oh, you call yourself the king of the Jews? Save yourselves. Do something. And yet he never spoke. Lord, would you help me to be like that? Lord, instead of having the natural position in my heart to make a defense for myself, Lord, may I trust you. May we imitate the example of our Lord. Would you help us to seek to live at peace with our enemies? May we have guarded hearts to protect us from roots of bitterness that spring up and cause trouble. And may we live for the very unity that you sent your son, the Christ, to die for. God, would you help us to show preference to others? Lord, there are neighbors in need. And Lord, we feed our own appetites, but Lord, may we be people with open hands and open hearts to meet needs. God, would you help us to not look to our own interests, but the interests of others? And God, all the while, help us to remind ourselves that the provision and the promise of God tell us that there is a kingdom that will never end and we are servants in that kingdom. God, we are your ambassadors. Give us courage to walk in a manner worthy of which we've been called. Prepare our hearts. Give us fullness of joy and forgive many of us in this room where we have been glancing and not gazing. We have been routines, but those routines have not brought genuine refreshment. It's brought no repentance. God, would you forgive us? And so, Lord, we invite you in this moment. Would you search our heart, O God? Would you know us, try us, know our thoughts? If there's any grievous way in us, would you lead us to the way everlasting? Lord, would you help us to show patience? 
Patience in the waiting. Patience for others who are annoying. Help us to reflect and demonstrate the love that you have for us. God, we thank you. And Lord, in this moment, I just pray for the protection and the provision of our church. Lord, there are quarrels. There are factions. There is dissension. Lord, there are things that are not honoring you. Would you help us to identify, expose, and seek to live in those ways that honor you? As we take the cup in a few moments, Lord, would our hearts be prepared so we do not invoke judgment on ourselves? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So as we take the Lord's Supper, uh, there's two elements. Uh, there's the bread, uh, which Jesus said in Luke chapter 22 as he gathered with his disciples. He said, this bread is just a reminder of my body. He said, it was broken for you. And then later, uh, at the end of the, the dinner, uh, he said, hey, and here's the cup. And it was the cup of wine in which he said, this is a reminder of my blood spilt for you. In both cases, what it is, is a reminder that God sent His Son. And He demonstrated His great love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Christ died, He ultimately fulfilled all the law and the prophets. And when He died and was resurrected, He, he didn't become just our prophet. He also became our high priest. In one fell swoop, He fulfilled everything about the Old Testament. Not only about prophecy, but also about the priesthood. And about how they would have to come to God. He became the final mediator for us. And so he's our prophet and he's our priest. But today we hail him as king. Because he resurrected from the dead on the third day. And so anytime that we eat together, we remind ourselves of the broken body and the blood of Christ. Now here in a second, here's what we want you to do. We want you to come. And we want you to partake of the Lord's Supper. Our band is going to lead us in a couple of more songs of singing. And as you sing, you have a couple of things to do. One, we're going to encourage you to come and grab the cups and the elements, uh, the bread and the cup. And we ask you to do that eagerly, but patiently. So what it means is, is like you shouldn't be irritated because it's taking too long. You shouldn't try to elbow somebody out of the way. Like, that's, like it's just a position of our hearts, right? And it's the Lord using food and communion to do that. And I pray that every time you gather from here until eternity, that you would look at a meal as an opportunity to reflect the very patience of God in all things. And so as you come, we're going to ask you to grab the bread and the cup, and then you're going to head back to your seat. If you're on the outside aisles, probably the most orderly way to do that would just kind of come down the, the middle aisles, and then maybe you could return to your seat from the outside aisles. That probably would help. Um, but as you take the cup and and the bread, you'll take it back to your seat. And the order in which you would take communion on your own, I'm not going to lead you in that charge, is that you would just take a few moments and you would, through prayer, just thank God for the bread. And the reminder that that bread is the broken body of Christ. And likewise, after you've taken the bread, you take the cup in a similar manner and you thank God for the blood of Christ, which was spilt for you, shed for the remission of sins. And then you take the cup. If during that process and the couple of songs, you have about a seven, eight minute window probably in that time period, you can spend it reflecting. 
You can spend it singing. You can spend it praying. It's your time. But in that time, we ask that you partake of the Lord's Supper if you feel like that's something you ought to do. And then we're going to conclude our time together in a similar way that the apostles did. You see in Matthew chapter 26 that after they had gathered together, they went to the Mount of Olives. And so after we've eaten together and after we've sung together, we're going to depart in a similar fashion. And you'll see uh, the closing of our service on the screen. And we just ask that you would go in reverence. I love you, church. I pray that your hearts are full. And I pray that you would know that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and there is forgiveness for the repentant. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. And I pray that we all are and that we demonstrate that in the way we live our lives. Buried beneath my rebellion, lost without hope of redemption, blind to my need for a savior, all but God. Crushed by the weight of my failure, living a lie I created, digging my grave without knowing. Oh, but God, oh, but God, rich in mercy, how you love me too much to let me stay lost. My salvation sent from heaven, nailing my sin to a cross. You gave me a truth worth believing, and I traded my chains for your freedom. You were the one that I needed, oh but Resurrected my heart from the ruins, my rescue came through like the morning. Now this is my sure testimony. in mercy how you love me too much to let me stay alone my salvation sent from heaven nailing my sin to a cross all the wreckage of my choices you Live